You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Season 2, new intro, let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host, Greg E. Hill, the Culture Change Agent. This is episode 35. I'm excited to be here. This week has been phenomenal. Shout out to First Lady Michelle Obama for delivering an amazing speech from the heart. She wrote it, or somebody wrote it. It wasn't like, yeah, we're not going to go into that. I'm not a political reporter. But thank you, Michelle Obama, for what you do. Also, President Barack Obama, don't boo, vote. Thank you for your your speech. If you're listening right now, I'm a fan. (laughs) And for all that you mean and stand for, for the world, for the country, and the black community. Thank you. So without further ado, let's let's start to get into our show. But I got a couple housekeeping things. First, thank you so much for the support of the last episode. I mean, it's been kind of mini viral on Facebook doing amazing numbers. And I'm getting great feedback from our interview from Dr. Dewan Warmack, president of Harris State University. Young guy, fantastic interview. Thank you and his team for giving me that those sound bites. And thank you for, for sharing it on Facebook, sharing it on LinkedIn, leaving reviews. And on the topic of reviews, because you know it's early in the episode and I got to touch on it. Thank you, Frank Jr.'s boy, for leaving a review. Also, JazzFan32, she writes, by far my favorite podcast. As a minority trailblazer myself, this podcast is perfect for me and my goals in life. And hopefully I'll share my story on the show one day. Heart Heartwarming. Thank you for that review. Also, see amazing. I listen to this podcast almost every day. The mission, the host, and the interviews are all great. I can relate to the interviews as peers and mentors, and I think this is an awesome resource for anyone early in their career. Man, I appreciate those reviews so much. And most importantly, I am well aware that we still have a long way to go as far as the quality of the podcast, as far as even me as a host. I know sometimes unless I have to review and listen and edit all these podcasts. I'd be like, yo, Greg, you just spent two minutes asking a question. I asked a question about the question inside of a question. So I know hopefully I'm getting better out here. And I know we have a lot more in store as far as live events, as far as question and answers with some of the people we have on the show, more audience engagements. And I guarantee you that over the next couple months and years, we're going to continue taking this to the next level. So thank you for those that have tuned in, left review. And if you haven't already, please stop what you're doing. Go to iTunes on my website, greggyhill.com backslash MT Podcast, how to leave a review, and go ahead and leave one. If you're, on, if you're listening via SoundCloud, follow us via SoundCloud and share us with a friend, all right? So without further ado, let's get into the show. Man, I have a guest for you today, especially 
for all my women entrepreneurs out there, my creatives, my designers, as well as our men that want to take their business or their life to the next level. This young lady, and I say young, she's only 26 years old, hailing from New Jersey, but is now a resident of ATL, is a proud graduate of Savannah College of Arts and Design in Atlanta. One of the best design institutes in the country, SCAD for short, and she's a proud owner of a design boutique, which makes anything from logos, branding, copywriting, packaging, web design, presentations, and various print materials for corporations and small businesses. And when I tell y'all, like, it's just not no random web design company, because there's a lot out there. Man, you can look at their website and tell they know what they're doing, because I've been looking at some design companies, I'm like, yo, I'm looking at this website. I'm like, why, why would I want you to design my, my website? Your website ain't up to date. I'm looking at their Instagram, their social media, their logos. I'm like, yo, why would I want you to do your my logo when your logo is average? And when I tell, like, if I could afford them, I, I would be using them. Like, <laughs> and they're just an amazing company. And what she stands for at 26 years old, Mary, so she is spoken for, and has six employees. With multiple interns, and I'm not lying about these interns. It took me a week to get in contact with her. I've had to talk to an intern of an intern of an intern to get her on the phone, to get on this podcast, and I'm glad she is here because I know she is going to drop some value on building a team, on getting your first clients, and on really just being focused and growing in a space which is not inclusive for multiple sexes because, I mean, honestly, this 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 her space and design work is primarily dominated by white males so not only is she a female in this space but she's also a person of color because you know she's a unicorn majority business don't make it past one year and not only is she make it past three years but she she went from a freelancer then to having a co-working space with a couple employees and now she has her own storefront in atlanta so without further ado i just want to get into the show and let her loose i would like to introduce Octavia Gilmore, CEO and founder of Creative Juice to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? Good. Good. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm more excited to have you on the show. I I just looked at your bio and then me familiar. And for everybody that's listening too, I have to give her a public like pat on the back or virtual <laughs> high five because a couple weeks ago, uh, for those of you who know, I, I worked with North Carolina Central University at times and we did a summer camp. And for some reason, uh, a speaker couldn't make it in like, and she told me like 24 hours before the show. So I said, I was scrambling for speakers. So being, I've only reached out to her or I've known Octavia via email. I said, let me just throw a Hail Mary. So I emailed the team and said, hey, I need somebody to fill in to come and spread some spread some knowledge to our students. And she came through, no questions asked, and she delivered some powerful information. And now every every student in the camp wanted to be a PR person and do brand design. I was like, I didn't know if I really wanted to get it that way. But I just want to say thank you on there for, for, for your contribution. Thank you. So as we begin, we'd like to start the show off with energy, inspiration, and some motivation too. So like I always do, I have our guests share a quote, their favorite quote, and a story on how they use that quote in everyday life. Sure. So my quote that I would say is the most inspirational and something that I kind of 
think about in everyday life, especially with running my own business, is there is no elevator to success. You have to take the stairs. Um, this is so, so, so important. There are absolutely no shortcuts. If so, I feel like I would have found them by now. <laughs> kind of running a business and being successful. It really takes a lot of hard work, um, long nights. You know, sometimes you're working a full time job and maybe you're trying to launch a business and you're doing it on the side. You will have some very long nights. You will have to work very, very hard if you want to be successful. And there are absolutely not any shortcuts that you could take. So I would say this is the most, you know, realistic quote for me right now where I am in my business. Mm, got you. And with, and with that being said, is there any has there ever been any time where you try to take a shortcut and it just didn't didn't work? <laughs> um, I would say no. I, I'm not. Oh, so really so big I'll tell you, you have never <laughs> taken any shortcuts. You've always <laughs> took every single stairs. <laughs> well, okay. I'll side note. A shortcut would be maybe um trying to skimp on when you hire um talent for mm -hmm. your team. Maybe trying to hire an intern or something like that. Um, that typically doesn't work out well mm -hmm. if you want to provide um, a certain caliber of ex or level of experience to your clients. So that would probably be a shortcut I would say that I quickly learned was not the way to go. You got to pay for quality people to be on your team. Mm, and I know I'm kind of I'm jumping a little bit before before I don't know how the old not, I don't know how the old folks say it jumping before the the wagon or I don't know how they say it but I do want to ask <laughs> dig deeper into that story okay um, I just want to kind of paint the picture yeah definitely so you know obviously when you're starting your business out funds are <laughs> funds you can't are low pay yourself are you trying to bring on people like right so the first thing you typically think is well let me just hire an intern somebody at a local college you know that can be cool for like some smaller things but you'll find yourself having to be very hands on with them or you know you can't expect a lot out of an intern because they're still in school they don't have that experience they're still learning so I think that, you know, it's very important that if you want someone specifically who's like client facing or you're going to demand a lot out of that person, you need to go in and actually spend the time and invest in, you know, someone who has the appropriate experience that you're looking for or someone who has the experience in something that you don't. Right. If you hire an intern and you say, hey, I want you to manage all of our social media and, you know, maybe you say you're a millennial, you know all about social media, but they don't have that experience of running a social media strategy for a business, you know. So you're going to have to help them out and help them do their research and approve everything before it goes out to make sure that they're not making any mistakes. Um, so you actually end up spending, you know, more time with that person, time that you, you could spend, you know, selling your business or something, networking to grow your business, you're just going to end up spending that time kind of being hands-on with an intern or something of this sort. So it's it's definitely, you know, my advice that you invest the money into hiring someone with that experience and leave the interns for the smaller projects. Amen, amen. And I'm excited on where the show is going to go because I specifically asked you on the show, not only are you a, a woman entrepreneur that has a, an amazing business that has grown immensely over the last couple of years, but most importantly, you're not a solopreneur. You actually have employees and other things. And I think that's new to our show because majority of people that I brought on have really, they've been, they're, they're, they started their business, but it's just them. So I think you can definitely add a different dynamic, a different layer to that. But before <laughs> we get into Creative Juice, and I love that name. 
I want to talk about, because the first part of our show, we always talk about the personal background and who are you as a person. So can you please share with our audience where you come from and who are you? Sure. So I'm originally, I currently live in Atlanta, but I'm originally from Jersey City, New Jersey. I grew up in a very dense populated area. Um, and I just realized that, you know, I wanted a little bit more for myself. I wanted to kind of get out of my environment and explore other opportunities. So around the age of 14, my uncle introduced me to like Photoshop. And back then my space was out and it was popping. So I used to design all the MySpace pages for my friends and do a little code on like their black parent pages. Um, And then I was like, hey, you know, I really like this graphic design thing. So I looked into it and saw that Um, you know, people do this as a career, like people get paid to design things. So that's when I decided, you know, that was probably a career goal for me. Um, so I kind of packed my bags and left and went to Atlanta. I, um, applied to a a small private art school here in Atlanta, which was one of the best art schools in the nation. It was the only school I applied to. And I just knew I was going to get in, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I got accepted and kind of packed my bags and moved to Atlanta and really just never looked back. I've been going strong since then. So that's kind of my story of how I got started. But I do need to thank my uncle because he kind of introduced me into graphic design. Um, I do come from a family of like artists and create creative people, um, but I am one of the only people in my family who's kind of pursuing something in the art and creative field as like my profession. Mm. And are you an only child? I'm not the only child. I am the oldest of five. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Yes, and, yes. And are they still like kind of in school, your younger brothers or sisters? Um, my youngest sister is 10. And then my oldest younger sibling is a year under me. So they kind of range in ages. Got you, got you, got you. So it all started. With, how long did it take you when when you were younger? Because we do have a, a, a young contingent, some high schoolers, some college people on the, on the line to kind of get get your skills up to date with Photoshop, with coding, and all that stuff. Because anytime I think about that, and I'm 26, I just my mind kind of fries just the the thought of Photoshop, of coding, <laughs> of doing all that. So how did you kind of adapt at 14, 15, 16 when you first started? Yeah. So when I was younger and a teenager, kind of still learning about graphic design, I was on the computer for hours at a time. I think I was coding websites back then. So I just really immersed myself in it. And um, it was really a a fun hobby of mine. Um, I would definitely say this. I thought I was a good designer. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I had it all together. And then I went to college and basically everything that I had taught myself well, let me backtrack. What I taught myself was more so the skill set. Um, but I definitely learned in college that graphic design is not about making things look pretty. That's kind of what you can teach yourself. You can teach yourself Photoshop and how, it make, how to make something look good. But graphic design is actually all about visual communication. And it spans so many aspects of our world from the signage you see in an airport to the label on your favorite drink. All of that is graphic design. So it's all about visual communication. That's something that I had to learn in school. Mm -hmm. As far as like the skill sets, you know, when you teach yourself something kind of in school, they teach you like the formal ways to do things and 
you know, all the little keyboard shortcuts for InDesign and what programs you use for what. So I think that school kind of taught me a lot more from a professional standpoint. Mm -hmm. And then it also taught me um, how to accept um, criticism without taking it personally. Because once again, it's so easy to confuse graphic design with like art. And this is something that you created. So if someone has anything wrong to say about it or if they have revisions, you just want to you're just upset. And you're like, man, this is my design, but you can't look at it that way. Um, it's actually, you know, like I said, a form of vi visual communications. And, you know, if you're making something look absolutely amazingly awesome, but no one gets it, no one understands it, no one knows what it says, they can't read the font or something of that sort, mm -hmm. that you kind of failed as a graphic designer. Mm. So question about that, how did school, because I know you mentioned you said school taught you how to deal with criticism and usually life teaches that, but you, like, how, did, how, did, how did school, just working with your professors and your, your, your uh, classmates? Right, yes. So... Because I went to like a private art school, the classes are much, much smaller mm -hmm. and uh, we're not really put against each other. But basically the entire class is like different projects, I guess you could say, like more away from traditional school. Where you're having to write papers and stuff like that. Every um, assignment was a project where you're branding a company or you're doing this and you're doing that. And it was really challenging uh, while I personally come from a family of artists in high school, I never really took any like formal art classes. Mm. So you start out with like your core classes, which is like drawing a still life and learning about perspective and how to, you know, do shadows and lighting. And then you kind of move in to graphic design. But once you get to those core classes with every project, you have to really stand up in front of the class and like present it to them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, here's my thought process. Here's where I started. Here's here's where I finished. And I've had teachers that say, like, literally said to you, like, this is stupid or this doesn't make any sense. Not to hurt your feelings, but to just really be realistic. You're going to have clients who are like, I absolutely hate what you just did. And you just can't take it to heart. You have to have a really thick skin. Mm -hmm. um, so we're able to lean on each other as students. You know, we're in school I don't know how many times I pull all nighters, but everyone is like in the school working, trying to get something done by 8 a.m. So mm -hmm. it was a lot of camaraderie that was built there. But um, also, like I said, being able to take criticism and feeling comfortable getting up in front of a bunch of people and speaking about your work and your thought process and your intellectual property that you kind of came up with for each design. Yeah. And it's crazy you say that because that leads me to a point I was just thinking about when we were talking. I was like. Because that's why it's so important if an entrepreneur, not even only entrepreneur, I don't care what profession you is, to surround yourself around people within that profession mm -hmm. so that they can kind of give that that feedback and, and knowledge. Because I think sometimes, and even myself, when I, when I first started off as an entrepreneur, I struggled because as a speaker or a trainer, I didn't surround myself with speakers and trainers. So what happened was... I was putting out content and stuff like that. And I would say, hey, can you look at this press kit? Or can you look at this speech? And my friends in other professions, they'd be like, man, that's dope, G. G, that's going to kill them. That press kit is dope. <laughs> and I would kept sending it to all these schools. And it's done. I wasn't getting no bookings. No money was coming. I was like, yo, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, even when I was going to give talks, I would get great feedback. Right. But it's different when you when when a speaker or somebody in your profession looks at it and they're like, yo, G, 
that press kit. I, 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 you need to work on your testimonials or right. your pricing needs to be all inclusive. You don't need to have that. I don't know where you got that. You found that somewhere online for some free how to be a speaker website. You need to change right. that. Or right. Greg, you're using too, your, your story is a little bit too personal. You need to kind of bring a high level and, um, and, and talk to the other type of thingers in the school systems. So, and, and I'll jump in forward. I think that is, uh, so how do you now, and I'm jumping way forward, but I just want to <laughs> ask this question. How do you now continue as an entrepreneur and you're leading a team? How do you stay fresh and current with kind of how your business is projecting and, and your marketing skills with the climate today? Well, I definitely think being aware of your environment, your surroundings, um, social media is a big way to kind of see what's hot and what's not and learn about the different trends. Um, in the web design or graphic design field. So we're very big on, I have like a Feedly account with all the different design blogs and I try to stay abreast to all the latest and greatest trends as much as I can. And, you know, even now there are some things that are out that I didn't learn in school that I don't know how to do. So investing in some online resources or paid resources where I can learn some additional skill sets because you definitely want to stay relevant um, with the services you're providing. Um, and even now, you know, as a millennial, we kind of have that advantage because um, we are like the working force at this point, um, or we're going to be the majority of the working force in a few years. So if there's anyone who's kind of closer to what's kind of out and what's modern, it will be the millennial workforce. Mm -hmm. But even still, you know, there are things like this Pokemon Go thing that Man. just came out. <laughs> it's changed the game. like <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, hey, how did I learn about it? Oh, I see all these people on Facebook and all these articles about it. So just really being aware and not being afraid of change and learning what's new. You have to constantly keep reinventing yourself. Um, even with Creative Juice, we're in the process of doing a rebrand to just reinvent ourselves and elevate ourselves and take the company to the next level. Mm, I love that. I love that. Cause it's, it's just, I used to close myself off, like and lock in on certain things. But then I realized like, say if you, if you like, say if I'm speaking to a college or whatnot and, and there can be some points I can get from Pokemon Go. If I'm not, I'm not, if I'm not aware of the times <laughs> or what, even design, you can look at, I mean, this, I can I can go down a rat hole with that conversation, but back to kind of where we were leading. Okay, you graduated school. What was your first job out of school, and how and 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 what does and how, and what played into your mind about taking it? My first job out of school was actually um, AT and T. So obviously, oh, it's a big company. Go work for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, that kind of was a no brainer. I was a contractor though, so I wasn't a full time employee, but I was definitely seeking full time employment with AT and T, but. I don't know. After being there for a little while, I kind of wasn't in love with like the corporate politics that come along with working at a corporation. So that wasn't very appealing to me. So I kind of left that job and went to work for a startup, which was cool. Um, I was the only minority there. I was the only person that, you know, of color in the company, which, you know, wasn't the best kind of experience. But, um, you know, working at that smaller business, I was able to kind of really learn some things about how to run a business and taking notes of things that I liked and what I didn't like. So um, that was kind of like my first two jobs, I guess you could say, out of school or at least before I launched Creative Juice. Mm. And it's crazy that uh, what was like your main your main takeaway from um, from that? Like you said, you you learned a little bit about business, uh, a lot about business on the back end. Like, what was your main takeaway from um, the last position of the startup? 
Well, the startup had um, investors, mm-hmm. but they weren't profitable. So just the thought of, you know, not making money or having a burn rate of like, I don't know what percentage, um, that's very, very scary. Mm-hmm. So that kind of taught me that I need to have all my ducks in a row before I launch my business because as a services-based business, I'm not selling a software. I'm not selling a product. I'm not going to have investors. This is all me. So um, I need to be able to make sure that I have my clientele built up and that every business decision I make, I'm being strategic about it and I can actually afford it because I would never want a situation where, you know, I'm not able to pay for my overhead, essentially. So. Yeah, nah, that's a great point, because I was listening to a podcast the other day and somebody saying that uh, like to working, working at McDonald's for a year, they made this point. And I don't know if I agree with it, but it made a little bit of sense. They said working <laughs> at McDonald's for a year could be and if you have the right perspective, kind of like a year in college or a couple years in college, mm-hmm. because if you're if you're not, OK, outside, OK, just doing your job, if you are say you're talking to the owner, you're seeing what works and what doesn't work as far as from right. a manager perspective. You're working with, you're seeing how, how they're on, um, like how they're marketing, how they change. Like if you, if you play close attention, even freaking, right. I, try, I pulled up the uh, McDonald's the other day trying to get a strawberry lemonade and for, <laughs> they were out at 12 o'clock. I was like, why are they out at 12 o'clock? And I realized like my, my brother told me because he worked there. So uh, I could put his <laughs> name out. He told me that they, uh, they, 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 not on purpose, but they, they, for certain stores, they, um, they only give a, a certain amount to kind of, and they only have it for maybe a month or whatnot, just to to continue to grow things. When you work for a company and you observe really what's going around you, right? And you can pick up a lot of different things. That's why I challenge people that, uh, of course, are may some. I know a lot of friends, you probably know a lot of friends as well that have all these dreams and pursuits, and they're working at jobs right now they don't like, right? And I understand that, but. Sometimes you can just when before you go in, just change your perspective and, and see what you can get. Like, or when you go in a day outside of your work, like what can you get from the job? Is there leadership opportunities? Is there opportunities for me to go to conferences? Is there opportunities for me to pick the brain of somebody else in the company? Are there clients that work for the company I work for that I possibly get on board with? So right. kind of have that a different mindset. So as we pivot, when did you make the leap into doing Creative Juice? Like, because I know you were very, very sure of before you launched, kind of having your ducks in a row. And can you kind of share us about the creation of, hey, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? So I've always wanted to own my own business. Um, essentially, when I was in college and I was freelancing, um, that's kind of still running my own business, you know, a solopreneur. Mm-hmm. So um, I continue freelancing in college all in all you know even when i had a full time job so i never stopped freelancing um like i said those long nights they were there definitely and it kind of got to a point where the job i was at wanted to kind of transition me into doing some things that i didn't think was were best for my career mm-hmm. and you know looking on the flip side i was making enough in my freelance business to kind of support myself full time So, you know, people always used to tell me, well, you'll know when it's time. You'll know when it's time to kind of get out there and do it full time. And I kept saying, well, how do I know when it's time, though? How will I know? And they're like, (laughs) you'll know, you'll know. And it just was like clear as day, like, okay, this is it. Like, this is the time to quit my job and go do this and like do it legit and, you know, do this full time. So. Mm, and what was your and this is the the, this is the the biggest question I ask all if anytime I bring an entrepreneur on show. 
What was your first year like? The first year was probably like my least stressful year. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, so once again, being a services based um, in, in a services industry and we're B2B, um, I can work from home. I can be on my laptop. All I need is Photoshop, InDesign, Illustrator and some Internet. That's all I need. And I can do my job. So when I first started out, uh, within six months, I kind of got completely swamped with work. So I had to hire like my first contractor. Mm-hmm. But I was once again, very strategic about it. So let's say I charge the client $1,000 for something. I would then tell my contractor, I'll pay you 500 for this. So I knew, you know, from the very beginning what my margins would be. Um, so I would say that was the least stressful year, kind of as the company started to grow. And then people were like full time. We have full time people whether they're working on billable work or not, whether you have work coming in or not, you know, essentially you're still paying them. (laughs) You know, you can't Mm -hmm. just say, Oh, work slow. So I'm not going to pay you today. Like, no, they're full time. So the first year was all about really like a lot of growth and learning the odds and ends of running an agency. I, I, you know, it kind of grew much quicker than I thought it would. So I had to just keep up with the growth of my business, even if I wasn't ready. Um, So I would say it wasn't, you know, too crazy. It didn't start getting crazier until we like, you know, started growing and getting employees and like really, you know, having running a business. So Mm, and I want to I'm going to talk more in depth about this growth and uh, transition too. before you in the last range. I just want to ask one question. Um, Knowing what you know now. What would you tell yourself five years ago? I would definitely tell myself that <laughs> running like a real legit successful business is extremely difficult. It takes a lot of planning, persistence and integrity in addition to hard work. You know, there are many times where you might want to give up, but you got to just keep pushing through and just keep keep your eye on the prize. Um you know, just not giving up. I don't think anyone, even if I told myself this five years ago, I wouldn't have believed myself. Like it's just, (laughs) you just can't imagine like how hard it is, like really running a business. And I'm not saying that to discourage anyone, but once again, going back to the quote, you know, really understanding that there is no elevator to this. Like you have to take the stairs, you have to work hard um, in order to be successful. Amen. And my biggest thing too is uh, talent is not enough. Right. <laughs> like you could be the most talented design person in the world and still hit the same wall and struggle. And you look at somebody that you like, yo, they are not even that gifted and they are getting clients out the wahoo. Mm-hmm. Like what is going on? So that's right. the thing about entrepreneurship because it's there's so many other levels of stuff that you don't see that you can't compare talent to talent. Like right. and and but that's there's so many examples on that. So as we transition into the present day and the and the how to, how did you go about? Because you mentioned okay, okay, we were getting clients, work got so hard, I had to hire somebody else. But kind of bring us to the beginning. How did you get the word out about your services and your clients? Because the reason why I ask because there's a, there's somebody that's listening to this podcast that maybe has their own design company or maybe or is just starting off in their own business and right now there are no clients in sight and they said right. they got these skills or maybe a few but not enough to really scarp it so can you share some strategies and how you personally in your business how you did the first couple months to kind of get more clients get more leads and and kind of help with the growth that you uh, encountered 
Right. So I definitely think one thing to kind of always keep in mind, especially when you're first starting out, is people are taking a chance on you. You're this young, 18, 21, 23, 26-year-old, 30-year-old, that you're trying to convince someone to spend money with you. Um, It's not like you're 40 or 50 and you have all these years of experience. So I think really understanding or taking that in that someone is definitely taking a chance on you when you're first starting out. Um, Once you kind of get over that, um, just really sitting down and thinking about what is your unique value proposition? Like, what do you bring to the table that the next person won't bring? Um, So one way I was able to identify those things kind of starting out was just listening to people and what they complained about when they contacted me, like, oh, my freelancer disappeared for two weeks. Oh, I wasn't able to get in contact with them. Oh, they took forever to get back to me. So I was able to take all of those things and say, okay, these are the things that people hate. Let me make sure I don't do these things while I'm trying to build up my reputation and my client list. Um, And then lastly, just being very hungry. Um, When I graduated school, there's like an alumni kind of website you can go on to where people can specifically post jobs to SCAD alumni. Mm -hmm. I was literally one of the only people who used this site. Even my career advisor was like, you get every job. Like I did not play. When a job was posted, I applied. I reached out to the potential client. Mm -hmm. I was at networking events. I was um, very active in um, AIGA and other local um, associations around here. I posted on Craigslist. I told friends. I posted on Facebook. Just every little outlet you can think of. I made sure that I was kind of getting in front of people and just selling my services. And, you know, when you start out, you got to charge low prices. I mean, you just whatever it is, what it is, you got to kind of charge a little bit lower until you get that experience and build that trust in that clientele. And then you can get to the level where you kind of charge what you're worth because you have that work and that client list to back up that price. Mm, That's 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 phenomenal. And um, just a quick question. So say if hypothetically all your like say you had no employees like for some reason all your employees <laughs> left mm-hmm. and something happened whatever and then now you had no money and then your client list was gone and you just had to start from scratch with you already had the skill sets you know what you know now what would be the first couple of things you do like i said you already know like you you don't change it's just your circumstances dramatically change and you started from scratch what would the first couple of things you would do I would definitely say, once again, um, figuring out which maybe one service you want to provide and really honing that craft and being a beast at that one thing. Um, And then once again, getting out there and selling, whether it's cold calls, connecting with people on LinkedIn, reaching out to your local chamber of commerce. Um, Once again, friends and family are very supportive. Telling them, hey, you know, things are slow or, you know, I need to build this clientele back up or reaching out to um, previous employers or, you know, um, peers that you've worked with. Kind of doing as much as you can to get in front of people to kind of get your name out there and your services. But definitely, you know, like I said, probably just focusing on like the one thing you can provide and you can do very well. Um, Because with that one thing, once you satisfy one client, they're happy. 
it's kind of like a domino effect. They're going to refer their mm-hmm. friends and they're going to refer their family. Um, they're going to rave about you. Make sure you, you know, maybe they give you like a good Google review. Mm-hmm. So I think definitely not giving up when things get slow and, you know, maybe you do have to start over. But, you know, think about what happened last time. What can I learn from my mistakes and what can I do differently and then furthermore, planning, um, I think, is very important. So just really sitting down and coming up with like a strategic plan for yourself, um, te- you know, a tested model, like not trying to reinvent the wheel. I know, you know, based on research, I know if I attend five networking events, I'm going to make, I don't know, 10, cl- 10 contacts. And then at those 10, maybe one person will actually convert to a client. So doing your research and kind of just being very patient and persistent to kind of figure out what works well for your business and how you can be successful. Man, great, great, great answer. Great answer. And um, I always ask this, what is, what is like a, what's like a typical day for you? I know there's no such thing as a typical day, but what is your, matter of fact, a better question to kind of get to that because um, what, when was the transition from going from a solopreneur to, to having a team? I, outside of the first, you already talked about the first contractor, but when was the first time you made a full-time hire? And then you kind of, what take us through like the timeline of creative juice. Cause I'm just, I'm I'm just interested to see kind of the, the, the progression. And then um, also to the timeline of hiring employees, but also maybe how your, not to get too in depth, but how your business model changed too with the growth of employees. Right. So when I, you know, I had the first contractor or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like my first contractor, they're not an employee now. Um, it was more like some short term, like, hey, I need help with these things. Can you help me out? But with the first full time person, it kind of got to the point where it was like, hey, I'll need you for 15 hours a week. And then 15 became 20 and then 20 became 30 and then 30 became 40. And then it was very consistent. Like I need this person consistently mm-hmm. for 40 hours a week or more. Right. So then you look at the numbers when you pay a freelancer or a contractor, you're paying them more because they have to pay their own taxes. You're not providing health care benefits. You have to factor in all those things. So when you look at those numbers and you say sometimes it's cheaper to just bring this person on full time, that's when you kind of make that decision. Um, so I think I hired my first full-time employee November 2013. So it was the first year, I believe. Um, no, I'm sorry. It was November 2014. So it was a little over a year when I hired my first full-time employee. And it was a very big decision. You got to kind of have a come to Jesus talk with yourself. <laughs> like, look, <laughs> you are paying someone's salary. Like, this is how they pay their bills. You have to understand, like, if there is money in the bank, that money goes to those employees first. You get paid last. You definitely want to pay yourself something, even if it's $500. Don't ever go a month where you're working so hard and you don't pay yourself anything, but you have to really understand and have a conversation with yourself and be okay with the fact that you have to pay your employees first um, because they are top priority. I've actually been in a situation where I worked at a small business um, with, I believe, 30 employees and and the CEO called a meeting and he literally said, like, we lost a contract and I can't pay everyone. Like, imagine having to have that conversation with people like you just don't want that on your conscience. So mm-hmm. definitely have to have that come to Jesus moment and make sure that once again, you have all your ducks in a row. 
Um, and the business model changed from like now this is real. Like I got to get out here <laughs> every, like seriously every day. What are the top three things I can do in my business that will generate the most revenue or have the best return? So whether that's okay, every morning I am cold calling. Well, I don't really cold call, cold emailing, right? I'm identifying 20 prospective businesses and clients that I want to reach out to and I'm emailing them. Um, I'm looking at them on LinkedIn. Even this morning, I went to like a networking breakfast, you know, consistently getting out there and networking. I network probably at least four times a week. Like I don't play about my networking. Um, even if, even any, even on the weekends, anywhere I go, I have business cards in my pocket. Like my friends always make fun of me because I don't play. Like I will have a business card on me because you just never know if you're going to meet someone in the grocery store or at the movie theater or just anywhere. So um, a typical day for me, like I said, is focusing on those Same. top three things yep, to generate sales. I'm definitely very um, interactive with my team. I'm the creative director of my company, so I can't just step away. I haven't fully got the business to the point where it can like run itself. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely have to be very involved with day-to-day -day tasks, whether it is you know making sure my employees are following up with clients, making sure my account manager is reaching out to um, clients about their invoices, interacting with my team and giving them feedback on different design projects. Um, so it's a very busy day. I, I literally, you know, when I first started out and it was just me and I had like the contractors or maybe even like one employee, I did have downtime. I'm not going to lie mm -hmm. with the contractors. If I wanted to decide at 3 p.m. I was going to go get a massage, that's what I did. If I wanted to take the day off, that's what I did. But kind of as the company continued to grow and now I have like a full blown team, there's never a day where like I don't have anything to do. I don't have any like real downtime during the day. So mm -hmm. sometimes the day can be like a little bit draining for me because it's just go, 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 no stop. Um, I even like most of the time, if it's not a lunch meeting with a potential client or a referral partner, I'm eating lunch at my desk and I'm working through my lunch and I'm, you know, I try to get in. I try. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Keyword try. I try to get in at 9 a.m. every day, but I, I usually stay to like 536, 637, 730 sometimes mm -hmm. to kind of get stuff done. Mm. And how do you deal with like the pressure of uh, of keeping payroll, then keeping clients happy? And that's a whole nother. And I'm going to talk about that in a second, because I know with the service based business, especially design one where people are finicky and all this other stuff. So mm -hmm. keeping clients happy. But also staying sane. Like I know there's a couple of things, but what do you think is the one biggest factor in how you cope with okay, this pressure as a business to not only get business but handle your existing companies, cup um customers, as well mm -hmm. as your employees, keep your clients happy, and then you still enjoy the perks of uh your success. Right. So I think one thing I had to really learn was I am not creative juice and creative juice is not me. It's a separate entity. While, you know, it's my baby, at the end of the day, it is a business and it needs to function as a machine. That means that I need to disassociate any emotional ties that I have towards my business. Um, at the end of the day, I want to be very passionate about what I do. But once again, my business does not define me. If I have a bad day at work, I, I try not to let it trickle into like my personal life. Um, so I really just want to make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, 
I am setting up my business to a point where, you know, like I said, if a client is unhappy or something like that, it doesn't affect me personally. It is just business. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as like the pressures of paying my team, I don't think there's anything <laughs> that will ever make me feel um, comfortable <laughs> with that. But honestly, I have mentors who... Um, they own design agencies that are much, much, much larger than Creative Juice. Mm-hmm. I literally sit down, sit, sat down with them and had to talk with them like, how do you deal with that? And they told me like horror stories like we have an equity or we have a line of credit um, because there have been months where AT&T or Cox said, hey, we're changing you to net 90. And now we have to take out, you know, a $50,000 loan to pay all of our employees for the month. And they're like, it just comes with the territory. I've, you know, met business owners that had to put a second mortgage on their house to pay, um, you know, for months when things were a little bit slow. So that's why I'm very, very cautious of that. I try to keep at least three months of salary in my savings. That way, if I have a slow month, I can rest assured that I can just, you know, take the money out of my savings. And then once again, I had had to talk with myself like, okay, if it's slow, you're not going to get paid this month. You're, you know, you're not going to get paid as much as you would like. Mm-hmm. And then also I'm very big on tracking my money and what comes in to my business and what goes out. So I have my monthly sales goals, which equate to daily sales goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only track actual, actual revenue once it hits my bank account. Mm-hmm. I don't track the revenue once they sign the contract because that falls through. I only um, add the money once it actually hits the bank account or I have a check in my hand rather. So I think that's important as well um, in regards to like planning and the pressures of kind of being able to pay the employees. Yeah, because that's, that's why I just... Because I've been I've been speaking and doing this for a while, but over the last year I've been picking up steam and as a professional and all this other stuff. And I just had my first couple of dealings with having it wasn't that ninety, but having those invoices that go from thirty to forty five days. Because working with schools, it ain't right. like well, oh, you work do a local church, they give you a hundred dollars on the spot or whatever. You might not get your payment maybe thirty. They give it. They got like a thirty to sixty day window. And right. that's all, and as an entrepreneur, it's like, yo, that's like you can have thousands of dollars, just imaginary <laughs> dollars out there. But right. rent is still due, checks is mm-hmm. still due. So it's a whole different scenario when you really want to be big time. Because when I was growing up, like, oh, millionaires is cool, whatever. But there's so many other things in the taxes. Like, our, it just, oh, uh, yeah. That's uh, neither here nor there. Um, so to ask some more um, a- applicable questions for, for our audiences and whatnot. Question, how do you deal with, because I know you had your fair share, but how, what does the Creative Juice Secret say with dealing with unhappy clients? Well, <laughs> <laughs> once again, another come to Jesus moment is you you can't make everybody happy. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. You can try, 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 try. Some people just, they aren't good to work with. Or, you know, we've had situations where our design style, you know, is a little bit more modern. Mm-hmm. And what the client was looking for was something that <laughs> we say like PowerPoint graphics, like something we would never do like in a million years. So then you just say, okay, it's just not a good fit for us. So we try the, our best to kind of pre-qualify clients before we move forward with them. And we also make sure that we're very transparent, especially with some more conservative businesses that we work with. Like, hey, we're going to be conservative and create a product that matches your target market. However, 
please keep in mind, it's going to look modern. It's going to look like it was designed in 2016. It's going to have that creative juice kind of flair Mm -hmm. on it. And then lastly, you know, unfortunately, I am not at this point in my business afraid to fire a client if it's not a good fit. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had situations where maybe the client was just a little being difficult or we just said, you know, we don't like the interaction we had with them. You know, you want to have a relationship where it's mutually beneficial, where not only am I providing a service to you and you're paying me, but you want to work with clients who want to see you grow and who also have your best interest in mind as well. And, you know, it's not just a one-sided um, mm-hmm. arrangement. So we're definitely not afraid to politely tell a client, hey, we don't think we're a good fit for you. Um Sometimes, depending on the situation, I will say you can have your money back. Like, it's not even about the money at this point. Like, you know, it could have just went so far left that we're like, you know, this is not even worth what they're willing to pay us. You know, we want to be respected as a company. We want to be, you know, we want to work with clients who understand that we are the professionals and who trust what we say. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't always get that, especially being a younger agency full of millennials. Mm -hmm. We don't have those years and years and years to kind of back back us up with what we say. So you have to have a more forward thinking client who is okay with, you know, once again, someone taking a chance on us, but really trusting that we know what we're doing. Mm, yeah, because I know I guess it's crazy. Like that's that's why in my head, even though I, I think that this this company and even you yourself are kind of like unicorns because this is really in my in my opinion and from what I've seen on landscape and statistics show what you have been able to accomplish because uh if you mind me asking how old are you 26 because you're 26 like what have you been able to what what you've been able to accomplish over the last four or five years with your company having employees having your office and the growth is really unprecedented for from for 99 of small <laughs> business owners 99 of, of people in america so and this is just a personal question because people maybe people that that are just starting off in the business they have small budgets but they see you all oh, y'all, y'all got a young company and whatnot and they reach out and maybe they couldn't afford your services, but back in the day you could help out. But now you have employees, you have all these other responsibilities, so you may not can help out every startup that maybe has great ideas and and, and that they can need a touch up. So how, how have you been? Have you dealt with that? Being that maybe your circle around you, or the and maybe I might be over over guessing, but your peers maybe oh she she does all design where she has a company go holler her. So do you get that a lot? <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so here's what I do. Um, we have a certain type of client that is an ideal client. Mm -hmm. If someone comes to me and they say I have a $5,000 budget or a $1,000 budget, I kind of say, okay, typically for what you're asking for, it would be, you know, 5,000 to 10,000. You're looking at 1,000. Here's what we can do from 1,000. And then let's do this. Um, we're and get it to the point where you can generate some revenue and once you get to the level where you can spend or invest the 5000 then we can come back to the table. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't work, then we say, okay, cool. Maybe we're not a good fit for you, but we have someone here that you know does really good work that we could recommend that you use instead until you get to the level where you can invest the 5000 So we definitely try to refer that work out if we, um, you know, not... So that we're not just telling people like, no, you can't work with us. We're too big and mighty or whatever the case may be. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, hey, you know, we have a specific market that we deal with. It's Mm -hmm. typically a business that had, you know, is doing one million and up. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, 
people can respect it. You know, I'd rather be transparent. I've even had clients who are like, I really want to work with you. And I'm just like, I understand. But, you know, business owner to business owner, I don't think you should be investing this money, this much money at this stage in your business. Why don't you generate some more revenue and then come back? And, you know, once you have that 5%, which is typically a rule of thumb, you want to invest 5% back into your marketing efforts. Once your 5% equals our five or 10,000, <laughs> then, you know, let's work together. Um, but I have been, you know, some situations I've been lenient. Um, maybe I put a, um, a junior designer on a project um, to try to meet that client's budget. If I really want to work with them or I believe in kind of what they're doing and, um, you know, to tr- try to keep my costs down. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, I have to make a profit. Right. So yeah. it's like, what can I do to, kind of make sure my costs are lower that way the client can work with me Mm -hmm. and then also we've had a bunch of like nonprofits reach out to us so we just launched the $1,500website.com if you're a qualifying nonprofit you can get a website from us for $1,500 and it'll be like professionally designed and look really really good um, even though you're only paying $1,500 whereas if you were a regular business we charge $4,000 and up for that service Mm -hmm. Mm, that's 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 great. That's great. And a question for um, all my non-designers that probably out there wondering or listening to the podcast and everybody. I've always um, now as a, as a business owner, I kind of see why websites and designers like a logo, a real logo from a real company might anywhere charge you a couple racks. But right. back in the day, I used to always be like, what am I paying for? Like, it probably took you a couple <laughs> hours on Photoshop to do that. Like, I can go to Theme Force and get like a, a theme and, and yep. do my own back end code. So can you be the, 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 the lead crusader on why designers deserve what they get? Sure. So <laughs> let me just explain to you the process of a logo design. Uh-huh. So our logos start at $2,000, which you're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but <laughs> let me explain to you. With a logo design, you fill out a 20-page 20 20 20 question document where we ask you, once again, because we're visual communicators, right? It's not just a logo. It's like the... A logo is essentially like the main graphic that people in your market will identify with when they think of your business. So it has to be a strong mark. It has to set itself apart from your competition. You want to make sure that it's going to last for the next 50 years. You want to make sure that it doesn't look like someone else's, right? We're coming up with something from scratch. So you fill out this 20, 20 question form and it asks you, who's your target market? What's the look and feel you want? Um, what are colors that we should stay away from? You know, it asks you all these different questions. We take that information and we do our own research. We research your competition, your target market. Once we do all of that, we start our sketching process. We typically do 40 to 50 logo sketches where we literally try to exhaust every possible option that we can think of. Once we have these 50 sketches, we present our top three to five concepts to you You decide which two concepts you want to move forward with. Now we got to digitalize it. So we bring in an illustrator. Now we're playing around with fonts and colors. And it's interesting because on Friday, I'm giving a webinar about branding. But I talk about, I I give an example of um, Gilmore Construction since that's my last name. But I show on the screen five different ways Gilmore Construction can look 
just by changing the font and the color and how it gives off a different look and feel and appeals to a different market. So once again, not just doing it to look pretty, we want to come up with a logo that actively and vividly portrays your company and what you stand for. And then that also appeals to your target market. So there's so much, there's color psychology that goes along with that. Um, There's so many different things that go into just a logo design um, that just people don't think about, you know? So it's not just doing something in Photoshop and it looks good. Okay, ready, set, go. It's literally taking the time to really understand your business and where you're trying to go with it mm-hmm. and the market that you want to appeal to. So it, it's, it's a lot of work, honestly. Yeah. Um, we take It takes us about uh, 20 to 30 hours just for the logo design um, because we want to make sure that um, like I said, it doesn't look like your competition. It's some, and you know, it's something from scratch. You can go to Theme Forest and buy that template, but a million other people bought that template. When I design a logo for you, it's a logo that you've never seen before on the face of the earth, and you know, it's copyrighted, so no one can have the same logo as you. You know, so mm-hmm. you got to think about it from that perspective. If you're paying someone to do a custom design from scratch, of course, it's going to cost more than going online and getting a logo that once again can be and has been resold thousands of times before. Amen. 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 Um, <laughs> <laughs> before we get to, um, well, close to our last round, uh, the future round, I did want to ask one question because I always, uh, ask this to everybody on the show. I usually do it earlier though. Um, what was your, if can you take us to your most difficult moment as it could be through your journey or as an entrepreneur, and um and share how you how you grew from that experience. Yes, so I would say one of the most difficult moments um because there are a lot of difficult moments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the most difficult moments um is you know when you don't meet that revenue for the month and you didn't make enough money to cover everyone's salaries. Um that's a very serious situation. Um you know, the stress of having to pay everyone, especially when you're a small business, um, you know, some things can happen that can literally make or break your numbers. You know, if you have a client, you know, like I said, who decided that this month you were going to be net 45 instead of net 30. Now you have as a business have to front that money to pay your employees before you even get it. So, um, you know, I would say the lowest point is, you know, a month where, I didn't meet my sales goals and I didn't have enough revenue coming in to cover um, the salary. So I had to dip into that savings account. But what I learned from that is, you know, our our business kind of fluctuates. There are some months where we're completely swamped, like, oh, my gosh, I need to hire more you know, freelancers to help us out. And then there's times where it's like, OK, where is everyone? There's no clients. So naturally when business is very busy, you would think, okay, I don't need to sell anymore because we're, we're good, but you need to still keep selling during those busy times to make up for the slower times. So I really learned, like, I need to be selling every day, regardless of where my business is. I still need to focus on those sales. That way, when things do get slow, because I was selling when things were busy, now I have, you know, revenue to kind of, or, you know, clients to kind of cover those slow times. Mm -hmm. So never... Basically, the whole theme is never keep your eyes off the sales, like the sales, right. the sales, because that guide you, I mean, and that, that fluctuates. So I get that. I get that. So um, our last round before our rapid fire, quick culture change round is uh, the future round. So 
what's next for Creative uh, Juice in 2016? And um, <laughs> yeah, what's next for Creative Juice in 2016? So this this um, year, we have a lot of good stuff going on. Um, obviously, we're the largest we've ever been, which is pretty cool. Um, we just moved into our, our new office space. We were in a co-working space, and we kind of outgrew that. So now we have our own dedicated office space in an office building (laughs) here in Atlanta. Um, And we're really focusing on like making it a pretty creative space for us. So that's pretty cool. And with that, we're rebranding ourselves once again, like I said, reinventing to kind of take our business to the next level. So that's pretty cool as well. And then lastly, launching that $1,500 website. I think it's a really great opportunity for us to give back to those entrepreneurs and those owners of those nonprofits who work so, so hard. Um, just our way of saying like, thank you for your service. Mm. And where do you see the company in three years? In three years, hopefully we'll still be, you know, going strong the way we are. We're a boutique agency, which means we're pretty small and hands on. I wouldn't like to get I don't want to ever be like this really large agency with multiple locations. That's kind of not what I want because you kind of lose that sense of personalization that you can have with customers when you're a smaller company. Mm -hmm. So I would say in the next three years, you know, maybe being around like 10 employees and just continuing to do good work and making strides here in Atlanta and just making a difference. Mm. And outside of a creative juice and is it called creative is it it's creative juice or just creative juice? <laughs> the company is creative juice however when i launched the business um i didn't do my due diligence and <laughs> creativejuice.com was taken obviously um and i didn't you know want to pay somebody ten thousand dollars so i said how can i come up with the creative url and i came up with it's creativejuice.com so boom Boom, yeah. boom. So outside of uh, your company, how do you individually want to be remembered when it's all said and done? I think I want to be remembered as a trailblazer, um, specifically for the industry that I'm in. You know, with most black minority designers, they're typically not in the corporate space. They are in fashion or entertainment or um, lifestyle branding or something of that sort. You don't really see too many black corporate designers. So I definitely think, you know, being a trailblazer from that perspective. And then once again, these agencies, um, specifically, I know in Atlanta, that are making millions in revenue, those owners don't look like me. They're mostly white males. Um, So I just want to continue to make a difference and kind of help. Um, build that path for other minority women or men who kind of want to own a large agency one day and say, hey, you can do this because I did it. Let's transition to our last round, our most exciting round. This is the culture change round where I'm going to ask a series of five questions. And all I need from you is a <laughs> rapid fire answer. Are right, you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Learn from your mistakes. Don't beat yourself up. Um Specifically for me, I've never done this before. I'm 26 years old. I'm running a business. I'm going to make mistakes, but every day it's a learning process, and I just have to make sure that I keep it moving and keep pushing. Boom. What is <laughs> one of your personal habits that you can attribute to your success? I think I'm very big on problem solving, and I think that has immensely contributed to my success. Um, there's nothing you can throw at me that I cannot solve or figure out um you'll never catch me like just stuck or on my toes um i'm very very big on 
being able to think very quickly and come up with solutions when I'm put in difficult situations. So, you know, being a problem solver, I think, has really contributed to my success. Mm. What is your favorite book and why? My favorite book is Successful Women Think Differently by Valerie B. I really like that book because it taught me so many different things and small tidbits from, you know, mentorship to how to climb the corporate ladder to work life balance. It was just like a very holistic view about, you know, how successful women um, live their lives and how they run their businesses. And I really learned a lot from it. So I would say that was my favorite book that I've read thus far. All right. Um, what inspires you the most and keeps you motivated? I think once again, um, being a diverse uh, business owner in the industry that I'm in is kind of what inspires me every day. And, you know, thinking about the fact that I'm creating jobs, like how cool is that? So, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I, t I look around, I'm like, hey, we have an office now. Like it's legit. So I think it, it just every day I'm inspired by my company and the growth that I've experienced thus far. And, you know, just really like, hey, I'm I'm doing this and I'm going to continue to do this. And it's just really cool. And, um, you know, like I deserve a little pat on back for myself. But um, <laughs> definitely being that trailblazer and um, being a minority so young and owning a business is kind of very inspiring to myself. Amen. Amen. And, and in question, I did, before this last one, where did you find your mentor? I, I, I slipped my by, but like, where did you find your, your mentors at? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that's mentor lists or they're like, yo, I need, I want to find a mentor or whatever. So how did your mentors come to you? How did they, how they get into your life? So my mentors did not come to me. <laughs> <laughs> One of my mentors I met in Starbucks. <laughs> he was overhearing a conversation I was having with a, a client before I even had an office when I was still freelancing. Um, we exchanged cards. I didn't talk to him for about a year. And then um, he reached out to me because he needed some design services because he owned a marketing and web development company. And I just realized how much I could learn from him. And we became not only really great friends, but he's definitely the person I could pick up the phone and call when I have a problem or I need advice or I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I want to scream. He kind of calms me down and helps me walk off that ledge. But um, he's probably one of my best mentors. And then some of my other mentors, I literally just reached out to them. I've found them online. They looked friendly from their like headshot. I'm like, Hey, this guy looks cool. Reached out to them and said, Hey, you know, I'm trying to do what you do. Can you please sit down with me for some coffee? And it kind of just starts there. You don't literally have to say, can you be my mentor? Or like, you're my mentor. It's really just someone, you know, you don't have to think about it like that. It's, it could be anybody that you call you know, to ask for advice um, during a difficult time who may have, you know, more experience than you or just someone who can help you out when you need it. Amen. 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 And um, the last question this round is, if you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? I have three things. <laughs> so the first thing is obviously fix police brutality. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is abolish student loans because they should not exist. And then the last thing is reform health care. I love that. I mean, golly, I, let me do your campaign in a, in a couple of years. You was to the point. It was, it was a three big talking points. And uh, yeah, no, nah, that's fantastic. And our, our last question about of, of the whole night. But what I know is um, if you had one wish, right? <clears throat> mm -hmm. If you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? I would definitely say I would try to encourage more self-worth within our community 
you know, for obvious reasons, but, you know, we are portrayed or, you know, other races are portrayed as beauty and just really helping my fellow African-Americans focus on inner beauty and, you know, the things that are natural to us. Um, in addition to encouraging African-Americans to spend more money within their community, you know, oftentimes, and you know, I'm guilty of it as well. We, we make it out and we never go back and we never help out. So just really trying to give back and inspire and encourage somebody who may be, you know, in a tough situation, you know, giving them advice and just making sure that you kind of pay it forward. And then lastly, definitely trying to spend more money with African-American owned businesses. I think that's very important to keep our dollars in our community. I love that. I love that. I love that. And before we kind of give the shout outs and whatnot, I would say, um, is there any last piece of advice that you would like to leave with our listeners? I would say leaders are readers. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you read as much as you can. Um, just never stop learning. Um yeah, that's that's my advice. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, Minority Trailblazing Nation, how can mm, my mm, no 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 I'm not asking them by the contact. Where can we find you at, Miss Gilmore? <laughs> Where can you find information about your company, what you do, and how can we get in contact? Yeah, so the easiest way to contact us is obviously visit our website. It is itscreativejuice.com. Um, feel free to fill out our contact form or shoot us an email. We're very, very active on social media. We're pretty much on every platform, um, including Snapchat. (laughs) So follow us on Instagram at it's creative juice. We're on Twitter at it's underscore creative. Um, and I think we're on Periscope too. So we try to, um, do some videos once a week where we talk about like different marketing tips that you could use in your business. So definitely follow us on Periscope, but yeah, we're pretty much on every social media platform. So Mm, y'all have it there. Y'all have it there. And for all y'all that didn't hear it, we have it in our show notes and we'll be on the website when we're there. So from the bottom of my heart, from Minority Trailblazing Nation, I would like to thank you, Miss Gilmore, for giving us an hour of your time where you could be out here selling and making more revenue and doing all this other stuff or eating your lunch or doing a variety of the things you shared with us. So I'd like to say thank you. Thank you. Y'all have a good week. Once again, that was a great episode. Thank y'all so, so much for tuning in to another episode of the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Make sure you leave a review, follow us on SoundCloud, subscribe to the channel, tell a friend and tell a friend and tell a friend. And you already know what I need you to do. What is that, Mr. Hill? That one thing you should change the freaking culture. Good night. <laughs>